Thanks for joining us today with another podcast from New Hope Church. We hope that you enjoy what we have for you today and find it encouraging and uplifting. If you ever want to learn more information about New Hope Church, please visit us online at myhope.life. We'd love to get to know you. Have a wonderful day and God bless. Well, the purpose of that was one, everybody needs to meet everyone. Like, I mean, we go to church together. Like, part of, like, this whole series is unity of faith, right? We got to have some unity building, I guess. I'm not going to make anyone do trust falls or anything. But it's also <laughs> to give the teachers time, because when the wall's gone, um, it'll give the teachers time to get kids together, get them onto the rope as they walk around. So, um, that is the purpose of that. So be ready for your like 30 second conversations. So what do you do for work? <laughs> What's your name? My name's Zach. <laughs> um, so we're gonna get started in, uh, we're gonna be in James chapter four. If you, um, if you would like the notes, you can go to myhope.life forward slash sermons and you can get them on there um, and you can follow along. It has the scriptures and stuff, or you can go into your YouVersion Bible app, and you can <coughs> kind of follow along a little bit. And uh, if, if, you're, if you've watched it a few times, or you've looked online uh, at the notes, you'll notice that I generally try to stay on my notes, but you know what? Sometimes the thought pops into my head, and we go <laughs> that direction instead. So um, let me, let's talk a little bit about the background of James chapter 4. What drives our pride? Okay, everybody struggles with pride. Like, it's just one of the things, like, have you ever thought about it? Like, when someone's like, how are you doing? And you're like, oh, I want to say I'm fine. And you, um, you don't, uh, you're really not fine. But you say you're fine because you want to take care of yourself. Uh, that's generally pride speaking for you because you're like, I don't want to admit that there's something wrong. I think that's the hard part is, is pride keeps us from admitting that I need to work on what's going on in my life. So what drives our pride? Oftentimes, we're driven by our personal motives and desires. So why would I tell someone I'm fine when I'm not? Because I want to appear that I'm okay. Or what if, um, you know, something a little bit different, like I'm a struggler when it comes to asking people for help. I would rather just do it myself because I don't want to be a burden on other people. That's pride. <laughs> exactly, that's why I say I'm fine. <laughs> If, if we're not careful, we can begin our journey away from God, beginning to walk away from him, rather than be in pursuit of him. I think it's important that we are in pursuit of Jesus Christ. The writing of James uh, can at times be hard. I've heard people be like, oh, James is, a, James is a tough book of the Bible. But honestly, like, yes, there's some things in there, but man, there is so much good stuff packed in to five small chapters in James. Like, there's just so much good stuff in there. Um, so when we walk away from God, we walk away from his protection. And we're going to get a little bit into that today. Scripture helps us evaluate and correct our lives to be in line with the Holy Spirit. I want to be in line with what God wants for my life, not my will. Because if it was my will, well, I probably wouldn't even be able to do it anymore. Like, I probably wouldn't even be able to do it. But I remember younger, I was like, I, I got into college and I was like, you know, excited. I was going to be a doctor and uh, if anyone knows me, they know I'm not a doctor. <laughs> math just didn't work for me. <laughs> math wasn't mathing whenever I did that. So 
oh, I'm not that. <laughs> um, but anyways, we can get our own personal desires, and I could have spent time trying to get what I wanted instead of embracing, and you're like, so you're a preacher because you're not smart enough to be a doctor? Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> if that was a question in your head, it probably wasn't, but I put it there. <laughs> That's the problem. Sometimes you just overthink everything. That's my problem. I'm working on me, okay? <laughs> so what I find is a lot of times um, when we are following God, uh, life just tends to be, I'm not going to say easier, it's doesn't, it doesn't get easier following God, but there's something about being able to say that he's the author and finisher of my faith. That if this doesn't work out, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to follow in his will and his plan what he wants. It's in his control. Every phase of this church, we've been a church now four years. Um, every phase has been a little bit of a step of faith from, <laughs> from starting the church all the way to this day, and um, every step like for taking out a wall or anything like that, it's always been like, you know what, when, when it's, it's God's problem. And you know how hard it is to live and say, it's God's problem. You walk in here on a Sunday, most Sundays, like you walk in here and you're like, you, you, it's packed in here. There's like almost 60 people every Sunday in here and it's, and it's packed. And I'm like, you know what, if we don't do something... <laughs> And I don't, we did two services for a while. I just I can do that. But the part of faith is believing that God will provide in those moments. So here's four points that we're going to talk about today. Determining what are our motives are. Have you humbled yourself before God and submitted to him? Um, recognize that any breath that you take is a gift from God. And how will you use that gift? Ask that question. How am I going to use the breath that God has given me? to do what God has asked of me. So before I get into James chapter four this week, my world was shooketh because I didn't know. Has anyone heard of the doomsday clock? Raise your hand if you've heard of the doomsday Okay, couple of you, okay, cool. So this week, apparently like they change it every year. They move the needle backwards or forward. It doesn't just constantly move forward. It's based on some things. Um, this was my first time hearing about it this year. It's moved in different directions since its creation in 1947 but it's currently sitting at 90 seconds to midnight. And boy, as soon as I heard that, I was like, man, I gotta preach a sermon on that, 90 seconds to midnight. Get your life ready. <laughs> That's not what it is today, but here's just a little, uh, a bit going into James chapter four. Presented by the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist, the Doomsday Clock is a visual metaphor for humanity's proximity to catastrophe. It measures our collective peril in minutes and seconds to midnight. And we don't, want to, to, we don't want it to strike 12. This is an article that I'm reading. And in 2023, the expert group brought the clock the closest it's ever been to midnight, 90 seconds. On January 23rd, 2024, the doomsday clock was unveiled again, revealing that the hands remain in the same precarious position. Now, I get it. There are some that don't agree with any experts out there. But you know what? I think I agree with these experts that we are moving closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And it talks about the midnight hour in the Bible. And I think it's important that our lives are in alignment with him when he returns. And so there's a, there's a music group. I'm sure some of you have heard them. If you're a little bit my age, <laughs> Lincoln Park um, produced an album in 2007 titled Minutes to Midnight. I, I remember listening to that album as a young person 
And I loved Lincoln Park when I was younger, but I had no idea what the term minutes to midnight even meant. Um, and it was based on the doomsday clock. But at that time, when that album was produced, it was five minutes away from midnight. And we're 90 seconds now, and I get, like, it moves and stuff, but there's an album, there's a song on the album titled What I've Done. And the song addresses personal responsibility, regret, and the desire for redemption. But there's a phrase in this song that says, and whatever pain may come, today this ends, I'm forgiving what I've done. Personal ownership of our past mistakes is important. Forgiving yourself is important, but your forgiveness will not forgive yourself out of hell. We've got to go to Jesus Christ because he's the one who erases and starts us fresh again. I need Jesus in my life. I can forgive myself all I want, but I need forgiveness from Jesus Christ. So it's only by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that we can be saved. So in in, in my favorite line in this song, it says, so let mercy come and wash away what I've done. And there's just something about that line. I just, I absolutely love it. It's not even a Christian song, but I absolutely love uh, that phrase in there because Jesus is the only way to be saved. And I need his mercy and grace to wash over me and to change me and make me new. So as I begin with this sermon, I want us to look and make sure that our, we are ready ourselves to meet Jesus. A call to repent and turn away from our sins. I believe the experts have it right. If you've come today and you've questioned, if you've wondered, do I have faith? Am I following Christ? Today is a day to make your calling and election sure. So let's jump into James chapter 4, 1 through 6 is where we're going to start with. And uh, they should be up here on the screen. Perfect. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what are your motives? Verses one through three deal with our motives. We wage war against our brothers and sisters because of our own passions. Now, I don't know if he was talking about between brothers and sisters or if he was talking about physical wars, but wars result around the pride of men and wars between brothers and sisters in Christ tend to result and revolve around pride. We get upset how a person lives, and so we, we blast them and tear them down. Or maybe they don't have a viewpoint that's quite like mine, so I go back and I begin to tear them down. So what does it mean to you? What is, what is your passion? And is your passion getting you to a point that, that, that is maybe drawing you away from God? Or is it pushing you? Is your passion for Christ? <laughs> what wars have you started because of your passions? Now, I say that 
and I am guilty 100%, my family comes around. <laughs> Shoot, sometimes I just go in our family text group. <laughs> Bum dropped. Mute. <laughs> For whatever it is, sometimes I let my passions make people mad at me. <laughs> so it's important that we keep them in check because our passions are generally shaped by our experiences or our trauma. Our passions can be shaped by ungodly people and sometimes they're developed because we have sin in our heart. I want to read to you a scripture. This won't be up on the screen. Matthew chapter 7, um, 6 through 8. In this, in this passage, this is Jesus. And I just want to show you that what Jesus said and what James is saying is, is it's pretty much the same thing. This is what Jesus said. He said, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pool, pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet. Turn and tear, tear and turn and tear you into pieces. Ask, search, knock. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Verse 3 of James is not contradicting what Jesus said, but it clarifies that our ask needs to be in alignment with God. God is not a vending machine. Don't expect to go put a dollar in the offering, press G3, and get the Snickers that you want. That's not how, that's not how God works. He's not a vending machine. I don't care if you go put $1,000 into the offering, and then you like expect God to like move on your behalf. That's just not, he does not move at our will. We move at his will. You see, I can't will anything to happen, but he can will it to happen. And I want my desires and my asks of God to be in alignment with what he wants. We just went through Matthew chapter 6, and we talked about the, the Lord's Prayer and all that. And, and part of that is bringing ourselves into alignment with what God wants in our prayer. So God, help my heart to beat for what you beat. That's the prayer I pray. God, help my heart to beat as your heart beats. What breaks your heart, let that break my heart. Amen. So verses 4 and 6 are dealing with our actions. As Christians, we should not act like the world. I get that scripture right there that we just read in, in uh, it here where it says, you adulterous people. I get where that can come off a little harsh. Jesus, or I'm sorry, James was Jesus' brother. And I believe that he was inspired by the Holy Ghost as he penned this. And he was writing. And I believe that he was writing because he was saying, hey, recognize what you're doing. And I get when it says you adulterous people, that can come off as a little hard. But it's important because sometimes you need something to get your attention so that you look at your life and be like, yeah, I have become a friend of the world. And that doesn't mean you can't have friends, that you can't be a normal person. But what it means is we can't become what Jesus said, a person who calls good evil and evil good. So as Christians, we can't act like the world. Sin is sin. and We can love people but we've got to draw a line in the sand and say, if God declared it, then I believe it. That's our option. That's, that's where it is. If you're going to be a Christian, you're gonna, you've got to follow Christ. That's just as simple as it is. If you don't want to follow Christ, you don't have to be a Christian. It's pretty simple. <laughs> this isn't ammunition, though, to shove Scripture down people's throat. Don't, 
Don't take this as, oh, there we go. That's, that's what I've been looking for. Mm, why do you want to shove scripture down someone's throat? Pride, passions, things that you've got in your life, maybe some hurt and pain in your life, and now you're like, oh, let me exert this on someone else so I can hurt them because I've been hurt. You've got to recognize where you're at in your life because you know what? You can go and shove a bunch of scripture down someone else's throat and never have looked at it yourself, and you cherry-pick scriptures, and you like this one, and you like that one, but you, ain't, you aren't a follower of Jesus. You're just someone who's using this as a way to manipulate and to strong-arm someone into your belief in the way that you want. So check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> so you've got to align your heart with Jesus. I don't believe that Jesus intentionally went and took Old Testament scripture as he began to speak. Now, he did say he did call the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, you, um, you, you uh, whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. Like, yeah, he was very direct. And I believe that he is very direct in calling out sins still to this day. And we have got to draw a line. But there is a purpose that, that we have got to bring glory to God so that when I present the gospel, I am presenting his gospel not my opinion. That, like, like, there's so much opinion going on, but we need the word of God to change us. A preacher ain't going to change you. A, a person isn't going to change you, but the word of God. If you will get into the word of God and study, it will change your life. The gospel calls. It also speaks to grace that is given. It speaks to the mercy that Christ has for his church. It speaks, uh, if we present the gospel in hate, it will not cause a person to be changed. I promise you, you can go and you can look at Jonah, okay? He, he started off like he presented the gospel in hate and God used what he did. And you know what he did? He went up and sat on this hill underneath a little tree and was like, okay, God, destroy him. There was no love, but God took the message that he preached and turned it for good. Thank God. <laughs> And, and, and he sits up in the tree waiting for Nineveh to be destroyed. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be a preacher that gets up. But you know what? I have been that preacher before that gets up and preaches a message. And there was no love in my heart. I've come a long ways. God's changed me a lot. <laughs> but it's only through his grace that we are changed. And it takes us looking at ourselves saying, okay, God, there is definitely some areas of my life that I need to address. God gives greater grace. That's what James said. So that means you need to stop being the answer and start pointing people to Jesus because God gives greater grace. My grace, that ain't very good. <laughs> I'm not good at giving grace sometimes. And you can ask my wife about that. I struggle sometimes when it comes to our relationship. We fight, unfortunately. <laughs> we argue. Matter of fact, this morning we even argued just a little bit. It, it happens sometimes, but God gives greater grace. That's the point I'm trying to make is don't look for grace from me. Don't look for grace from your brother or your sister. Look for grace from him because he gives greater grace because not one person in this room has all the answers. I don't have all the answers. You're going to ask questions, and I'm not going to know the answer to. But I can tell you that Jesus is the answer that you need. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know what that means? 
we have got to get over ourselves and, and, how we, and, and stop thinking that we are God's gift to this world. I truly believe this. If you believe that you're God's gift to the world, you are setting yourself up to be an idol worshiper. I am not God's gift to the world. There was a gift to this world, Jesus Christ. I am here because of his grace and mercy. And that's all that there is to it. It's not of my own ability, but because of his. So when I change my perspective to thinking, oh, I've got this, to I need to humble myself before him, I start to live in the protection of Jesus Christ. You'll never make it if you don't humble yourself. You see, part of being a Christian is saying, I need help. The very first part of becoming a Christian is repentance, is believing. And if you can't say, God, I'm sorry for my sins, I need you to forgive me, you're going to really have a hard time. You won't be able to follow Jesus because that's the very first step of submitting to him. Pride will divide the church and will divide us from our relationship with Jesus Christ because pride is a work of the flesh. And the Bible talks about Satan as a seeking as a roaring lion. He's not the roaring lion. He is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so if I operate in pride all the time, then I'm not really believing and trusting God. Let's move on to verses 7 through 12 in, chapter, in James uh, chapter 4. It says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. If verse 9 got you confused for a second, hold on, because it makes sense here in just a minute. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Uh, verse 11, like, hear this one. This is really important. Don't criticize one another, brother and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, we're going to break that down here in just a moment, but let's start on verse 7 for just a minute. In verse 7, it says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. This, i got to ask the question, are you submitted to God? If you haven't humbled yourself and submitted to him, then you're going to be fighting against the devil all by yourself. And you're not going to be successful. But if you've submitted to God, now when you resist the devil, he has to flee. That's what that verse says there. And so our action that is being requested in this verse is our submission to God. This means you've got to humble yourself to him. You have no power without submission. Now, Matthew 8 captures submission to authority in the story of the centurion soldier. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 8, you certainly can. It won't be on the screen. But I absolutely love this story because it, it, it moves. It, it, he just ministered to, Jesus just ministered to the woman with the issue of blood. She crawls through the crowd. She's unclean. She's had this 
uh, bleeding issue for years and she spent all the money she has. And her last resort is to get a hold of the, the hem of Jesus's garment. If I can touch his hem, notice how faith in her mind, she said, if I believe, I know that I can be healed. And so her faith pushed her to do something that in that day was not allowed because she was unclean. She should not have been working her way through the crowd. She should have been held up in her room, sitting down, not doing anything because she was unclean. But here she comes in the moment that this unclean person touches Jesus, she's changed. And then we come into the centurion soldier, and this is what we see in Matthew chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. It says, Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I believe on the laying on of hands and everything, but I also believe that we just need God to speak a word and he can touch our lives. He, he can move across the miles. We just need him to speak a word. It's not in the, our power, but in his. So until you get into alignment with God, you don't have protection. This centurion soldier painted the perfect picture. If I'm under authority, if that means I'm submitted to my, to my God, I, that's the biggest thing. Be submitted to God. Submit yourself to him. Follow him because he's the one that's going to save you. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm going to give you a warning. I'm doing my best to follow Christ, but I make mistakes. So you can certainly follow me as I follow Christ, or you can just follow Christ with me, okay? <laughs> Don't mess up like I mess up. Follow Christ. And if you mess up, I'll be there to help you too. <laughs> we'll go through repentance together, and we'll just, we'll just keep pursuing Jesus Christ. But I want you to know... Don't follow me, okay? I'm not the best example that's out there. I'm going to do my best, but I promise you, follow Jesus. He's a way better choice than me. I'm always going to point you to Jesus. Always. Because I'm not your answer. No one who gets up and preaches and teaches is your answer. They don't have the answers. They don't know the Bible good enough. I don't know the Bible good enough, but I do know Jesus is the answer. And so I'm going to keep going back to that. Jesus is the answer. Go back to him. Anytime you're struggling, go to Jesus. Now let's look at verses 7 through 11. It says in verses 7 through 11, they're dealing with our actions and what is required of you and I. What happens when you do this? Submit to God and resist the devil and the devil has to flee. So that's in that verse there. That's what's required of me. Submit to God and resist the devil and the devil will flee. Now the next one here, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a really important thing right there because the responsibility on having a close relationship with God rests in your hands in drawing near to him. If you want him to draw near to you, you have got to draw near to him. So your action here is that I will draw near to God. Part of my submission is admitting that I need to draw closer to him. Verse 9 is dealing with repentance. Okay, let me read, let me read 
uh, verse 9 real quick again. It says, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That doesn't sound like a very encouraging scripture. First off, like when I read that, I was like, huh? I was, I was a little confused. I needed some commentaries to help me understand what was going on in this scripture. But then it occurred to me, 2 Corinthians 7 through 10, chapter 7, verse 10, talks about how godly sorrow works repentance. Ah, sometimes we're happy and we're just going through life, sinning and doing what we want to do. And we never come to the realization that I need to repent, but godly sorrow works repentance. Jesus said, many will call good evil and evil good. I must come to the realization that some things that I've always done may have been good, but they may not have been godly. And so that means that there's some things that I need to change in my life. God does not give a pass on sin, but he recognizes our ignorance. Paul wrote about that, how God recognized his ignorance. And I think it's important that as we draw near to God and he draws near to you, you're going to change because you cannot come in contact with a holy God without being forever changed. Look at the people in the Bible. Look at Jacob. What happened? He walked away with a new name and he walked away with a limp. <laughs> like, like he was changed forever. Like you, like you wrestle with God, you're going to walk away with a limp. Maybe that's why my back hurts. I was wrestling with God. <laughs> I don't think that's it. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and tell you that's not the reason why. <laughs> Your actions and attitudes will begin to be changed as you come in contact with God. The closer you draw to him, the more that he draws to you, I promise you the more that you will change. The more you'll grow in him, the more boldness you'll have. You'll find yourself being humbled, but also humbling yourself before God. Verses 11 through 12 I want to say what Jesus said. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 7. So let me read 11 real quick. It says, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames the judge uh, and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And verse 12, the last part there says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, a lot of people like that scripture. Only God can judge me. Like, I think some people's like favorite tattoo. Only God can judge me. I'm like, do you want him to? <laughs> yeah, he is going to judge you. <laughs> like, that's all I'm saying. Like, he's going to. <laughs> You're just over here inviting it. <laughs> I know he's going to judge me. <laughs> I know that you also judge me. <laughs> Let's be honest. We're all afraid of what, how other people think about it. Uh, maybe you're not. I am always afraid of how other people think of me. <laughs> but you know what? It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It, it doesn't matter because what matters is what he thinks. That's the only thing that matters. I can't shape my life to fit you. I've got to shape my life to fit his will. So I said Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. It says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. People love that scripture. Judge not lest you be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. 
with which you judge others. <laughs> and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Verse 2 is a really important part here. Verse 3 now. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Amen. Now, there's a really important thing there. When, when this says, when this says, first take the beam of, out of your eye, like I just, you know, like, like imagine this, like, hey, Jen, let me help you out real quick. You've got, you seem to have something in your eye, like, and she's like, no, nah, you got something in your eye. <laughs> Yours seems to be a lot bigger than mine. I think we should take, no, it's okay, Jen. Like, let me help you. I'm good at this. <laughs> when, when Jesus gets up there and begins to, to speak this, I think it's really important that we, that we take note. Yes, I shouldn't go around and just, you know, judge people. But what measure am I judging people? What's the measure that you use to judge people? Because a lot of times it's shaped by our ideas. It's, it's shaped not by the word of God, but by what we prefer. I can't judge someone based on my preference because you know what happens then? Now we go back here to verse two. You will be judged by the same standard where which you judge others. So what standard are you judging others by? Because I don't care if you got tattoos all over your body. I, I don't care if you got a tattoo that says only God can judge me. You know what? One of the things I did when I was in the military, I went and got this big old tattoo. My mom, she cried when she saw it. Oh, man. You know what? I made mistakes in my life, but you know what? I don't care. You know what? If there isn't people still making mistakes in church, why are we even doing this? Because the purpose of this is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not to be arrived and, oh, we've got it all figured out. Let me just be the upper crust of the church and look down. That's how you're going to be judged, my friend. <laughs> so... Let's take the beam out of our eye, and then maybe we'll be able to help someone else out. So, yes, I understand why people like to quote that, only God can judge me, because he is the only one who will judge you. But you've got to understand that he's got a measure by which he judges. It says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not. His word will be the judge of our lives. So I need to align my life with his word. So what standard is God going to judge you by? Boy, when you think about that, like, ah, I hope, hope his word. <laughs> I hope I haven't done something. I, ho I hope that I'm not judging people outside of God's word. So the standard in which you judge others matters. I'm going to live my life according to God's word. But you know what? Even in doing that, I'm going to make mistakes. And so I have to come to repentance. Jesus declared that, there, that we will be judged. And how you will be judged is based on, how, on the measure you used in your judgment of others. I'll be honest, like it's easy. 
someone can dress up super nice for church. Noah over here, he's wearing his like suit, jacket, and tie. But you know what? I don't know what's going on in Noah's life at home. Sarah, you got your Portland, Oregon hoodie on. And someone could look at you, oh, Sarah, she doesn't have it all together. They could look at my grandma. Oh, look at my grandma. She's, she's got it all together. Look what she's got. I don't think she's got it all together. I live with her. I think she's got it all together. <laughs> uh, be careful. She's going to call me out. <laughs> she's going to be like, I know you ain't got it all together either. <laughs> Here's the thing. is A lot of times we judge the book by the cover and we just assume everything's okay, everything's good. But the reality is, is God looks on the heart. He looks on the inside at a person, not the outward appearance. But if you get close to God, I can guarantee you there's going to be some things that change about you. So let's, let's move on here with the last few verses, 13 through 16 of James chapter 4. It says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your, ignorance, your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now, I look at this scripture, and how many of us think about the plans we've got six months from now? Alicia shakes her head. I know I got plans in six months. I, I, I look at, I look at the, the, the plans, you know, like in three weeks from here. Like, they're like set in stone. Like, they're guaranteed they're going to happen. But the reality is I'm not promised tomorrow. So if God wills it, February 5th, that wall come down. <laughs> but as of right now, it's the plan. We're moving with that. <laughs> um, but here's the thing is a lot of times our pride gets in to this mindset of I'm owed tomorrow. I'm going to have tomorrow. And that is the biggest destroyer of people coming to Jesus Christ today because they think they have tomorrow. They think they've got the next 30 minutes. The reality is, is we are not promised tomorrow. Proverbs 27.1 says, don't boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day might bring. How many of us worry about tomorrow? For all the anxious people in the house, go ahead and raise your hand and say, amen. 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 There we go. Half the church is full of anxiety. <laughs> I'm worried about what work will be like tomorrow. <laughs> Who am I going to see? What am I going to do? What am I going to eat? We worry about tomorrow as if we're guaranteed tomorrow. <laughs> now, I'm not saying don't plan. You should absolutely plan for the future, but don't think that it's owed you. The final scripture of James chapter four calls us to get ready. It says, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. I hope that there will be a tomorrow. These last four scriptures here, I really hope that there will be a tomorrow. 
I hope that there will be a next month so that we can preach the gospel another couple of days. I hope that there will be another year so that we can preach the gospel because there's still people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's still people who have walked through the doors and have never repented. There's still people that haven't given their life to Jesus. And I think it's important that we keep, and I hope that we'll have the time. I hope that God will will it because it says in his word that it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I want us to be a church that hopes for tomorrow, but knows that we're ready for today. I want us to be ready for his return. Should it be in the next 30 minutes or the next year? It doesn't, it shouldn't matter. I'm ready to follow Jesus. We have to humble ourselves and boast, not boast in our arrogance. So bringing it all together, our passions will drive us straight to hell if they're left unchecked. We'll divide the church. We'll divide one another. We'll create our clique because it makes me feel comfortable and it's about me. Why do we tend to stick with the same four or five, six people? I, I'm not saying that anyone does that, but like, why do you, why do, you do that? Because like, a lot of times it's easier to talk to people we know. I'm guilty. <laughs> I do the same thing. But I must come to God and let him forgive my past. Let mercy come and wash away all I've done. It's his grace and his mercy that overcomes my past. I talk a lot about sharing your story because I believe that every story that's in this room is relevant to people here. Whatever you've gone through, God has a purpose for what you've gone through. But it's his mercy and grace that overcomes that past. It's nothing that you do, but rather it is by his power and his glory that you are changed forever. I'm nothing without him. Your action points for this chapter here. First one, you've got to determine what your motives are. Why are you doing what you're doing? Next, you've got to make sure that you've humbled yourself before God and submitted to him. We've got to do those things there because I want to be in the will of God, and I can't be in the will of God if I'm exercising my own desires. Recognize that any breath that you take, from is a, you take is a gift from God. How many of us forget we go on living, we take breaths, we move on through the day, we're owed tomorrow, next week, I got all the plans, I'm working, and I don't even think about that moment that I just took that breath, that was a gift from God. People a lot of times pray for their meals and they thank God. Now I'm just saying, what if you thank God for every breath you took? Yeah, that would be nearly impossible because... We breathe. It's just part of who we are. You go to sleep and your body breathes. I need that oxygen. And just like that oxygen, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. The next question, how will you use that gift? Every gift, every time you take that breath, you've got a gift. What are you going to do? If you're following Christ, what's your next step of faith in him? If you haven't followed him, what is your next step? You've got a breath in your lungs right now. 
God, I'm sorry for my sins. Sometimes I think the barrier to repentance is that people don't really understand that repentance just starts with God. I admit it. I did it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. The act of repentance is the turning away and not continuing down that same path and continuing to do what you just repented of. That's the barrier, I think, is sometimes we just don't know how to say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. But I'm not going to leave you today without knowing that it's as simple as that. God, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. When Peter preached the first sermon to the church, they asked, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. I need my sins washed away. I need them forgiven. You get to walk in the newness of life. So it talks about, I believe it's in Corinthians or Romans, one of those talking about we are baptized with Christ. We get to walk in a newness of life. Behold, all things have become new. I am a new creation in Christ. Now, if you like your old past and everything like that, then I guess keep living in it. But justifying what you do will not save you. You can forgive yourself all you want for your past, but the only one who washes it away is Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would touch us today. God, I pray that you would move in this place. God, you know every heart that's here, every life. And I just pray, God, that you would give us the faith that we need, God, to take that next step, God, to, to do what you are calling us to do. God, I pray that you would move in people's lives today. In Jesus' name, I'm going to ask if you would like prayer today, I want to ask you to join me up here at the front. I would love to pray with you that God touch you. God, I pray that you would move in this place right now. In Jesus' name.
I want you to know that you don't have to walk out of here today feeling like you don't have hope because you've got the greatest hope, Jesus Christ. You don't have to walk out of this place unchanged. You can leave forever changed. So if you feel like you're like, oh, I'm a friend of the world. Oh, I'm struggling. Man, I struggle too. But I come to him and I say, God, I need you. I want to pray before we close and then give you some instructions for next week. But God, I pray that you would touch us today. God, I thank you for everything that you've done, God. I pray that you would continue to draw us closer to you and to each other, God. That you would continue, God, to help us to build relationships, God. That you would touch us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, just for, for those of you with kids, they'll be bringing the kids down in a little while. Um, so hang out, wait for them. And then uh, for next week, we're going to be moving speakers and, and stuff like that. So we're ready for them to come and take out this whole section here and that back wall there. Um, so if, you, uh, if next week you want to come in your work clothes, maybe we'll tear down some walls while you're here. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's what we'll be doing next week following service. Um, and so if you'd like to help out with that, we'd love to have your your help. So that's next Sunday. Uh, but uh, that's it. Greet someone, tell them hello. You're glad to see them. Give them a high five, shake their hand. And then as the kids come down, you can have your children. <laughs> mm -hmm.